Divorce can cause the most good-natured person to behave ugly. How you show up at each step makes all the difference. In today's episode, you'll learn how to prevent divorce from bringing out the worst in you. Our guest, Dr. Christine Kysinger, is a wellness educator, a certified yoga teacher, Reiki master and teacher, and aromatherapist. She's lectured all over the country in the areas of stress management and shares practical and powerful strategies for stress reduction. I'm Sharon Pastore, and this is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. We are actually discussing how to be your best self through, self through divorce, and the irony of it is that I'm actually making hosting this call from a courthouse um, that where a trial is going on that I am attending, um, not part of myself, but attending. So the fact of really discussing how to be your best self uh, stands in very stark contrast to the experience of when it doesn't go that way. So it provides even more of an incentive for me today to share this information and give people opportunities to really make healthy choices here. And, you know, as people read when they signed up for this call is divorce is one of the most challenging emotional experiences that any of us can ever encounter. And it certainly provides numerous reasons to bring out the worst in us. And it takes an incredible, incredible amount of resources to show up as our best selves through that kind of time. And our guest today, and we have had her on before, and those of you who've heard her have loved her, and I love her. So <laughs> she is back with us again today. And our guest is Dr. Christopher, who, who is a wellness educator. And I will also say she is also a coach working with Divorce Essentials too. But as a wellness educator, she is certified, she is a certified yoga teacher. Yusui um, and Karuna Certified Reiki Master, and I hope I said that correctly, a clinical aromatherapist, and she's lectured all over the country in areas of stress management and shares practical and powerful strategies for stress reduction with her listeners. Um, she also teaches about relationships and about communication, and we're going to be talking about that a lot today. By training, she's a professor and academic scholar of interpersonal communication, and her work in the areas of family and intimate relational communication greatly enhance her approach to everything that she does and is certainly the crux of what she's going to share with us today. So, um, and as I started to mention, Christine is working with the Boards Essentials as well, where she's able to bring this kind of background and expertise to her work with clients here, as well as, as she always says, to my work on the mat with people who show up for my yoga classes on a regular basis, and she does have a great following. So, Christine, I couldn't be happier to welcome you here today to talk about this. Christine?
Hello, can you hear me now? Oh, oh, there we go. We have an unmuted guest now. <laughs> yeah, I needed to be unmuted. Um, I'm so happy to be here. This is a very um, exciting topic for me. Um, I think that this is something that most people don't even think about as they begin to um, enter their divorce journey. And um, the information that we can share today uh, is really, I think, a wonderful way of helping to prepare people to really begin thinking about and reflecting upon, as you said, which version of, of self they wish to have showing up um, throughout various aspects of this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so one of the things I wanted to just start off by asking you, just so people who are listening in really can get a sense that, you know, you have, they, you have walked in similar shoes to the ones they may be walking in. I have walked in similar shoes to the ones that they have been walking in. And, you know, it's from that context that we are coming to this conversation. And so, you know, I was wondering if you would share a little bit of just your story, meaning, you know, when all of this started, how long you've been traversing this kind of divorce uh, experience and episode in your life, and when it is that you made the decision that how you were going to show up to this was going to be really important. Um, I have been walking this path uh, for 18 months now, and I decided three months in to uh, the journey that I really needed to think carefully about um, how I was going to conduct myself. Um, what I discovered very quickly was that the mere mention of divorce immediately put myself and my husband into um, almost a primitive survivalistic mode of being and brought forth in both of us um, aspects of who we are that I don't think we even knew existed. Um, just the, uh, the very things that divorce threatens, um, dis- disruption to our security, physical and emotional, a disruption of the way that we had been living, of a way of being, of a way of being as individuals and a way of being as a couple. Um, this sense that our entire world had turned upside down. And then there were worries related to finances, related to who's going to live where. So there were literal worries about shelter, um, worries about how is this going to impact our relationship with our children? How might this threaten our relationship with our parents, with our in-laws, with our larger social circle. And I think for me, the biggest trigger in terms of feeling threatened was how was this change in our marriage going to affect connections that I held very dear. And so, um, and, and Adina, I think you can speak to this a little more, um, a little better than I can, but the sort of what happens to the brain when you're experiencing threat at this level and you you move pretty immediately into a state of fight, flight, or freeze, and which is a highly reactive state. And as a consequence, again, it pulls up aspects of yourself that may have never, ever been brought into the light of day before. Um, I can say that, you know, for all that I know about communication and relationships early on in the first month or two, I was shocked at some of my behavior. I was appalled 
by some of my husband's behavior in the ways that we communicated with each other. I did not recognize him. I did not recognize myself, and I'm certain he didn't recognize me. And that's when I knew I really, really needed um, to quickly pull together some strategies for bringing forth a version of myself through this journey that I was going to be proud of. You know, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, really powerful, and I'm glad you're sharing that kind of reflection on self of, oh, my gosh, I couldn't even recognize myself in certain places, and I certainly couldn't recognize myself. And knowing that, you know, all marriages or almost all marriages begin from a loving place and that suddenly we can find ourselves in this stance of being so angry, so resentful, so hurt, so, you know, so many things rising up that suddenly everybody can become unrecognizable in some way. Trust, you know, flies out the window so quickly and you label it as we can end up in a highly reactive state and, all of that is, you know, really why we're having this call because I don't think there, there's a person who has ever traversed divorce who has not had that experience and who has not been drawn into a reactive state. And so, you know, exactly what you said, I want, we're going to delve just a teeny bit into the science of that. And, you know, I, I, when you and I were talking about it, I kind of named it as, you know, why can divorce, divorce turn otherwise good people into gladiators, you know, who are in an arena fighting till the death and kind of to understand why that happens a little bit. And certainly what we want to do in moving through this call is like, what do we do about it so that we don't end up because those gladiator battles, you know, were really not very pretty things, pretty scenes at all. And, you know, divorce can go that way. Our system does allow for, you know, high levels of battle. And so it really becomes our choices about who we're going to be and how we're going to show up that will determine (laughs) how things unfold in our situation. So, you know, from your perspective, I mean, you talked a little bit, I'll fill in some of the science here too, but, you know, why good people can turn into gladiators. You know, for you, what was one thing, I just want to use it as an example, and then I'll fill in with some of the science here, but, you know, what was one of the issues that your husband could bring up or an attorney could bring up that suddenly sent you, you know, into that kind of survival threatened state? Well, there were two things. Um, one was my relationship to my children, uh, because um, when I married my husband, um, he had he had two babies. He was he was widowed, and I came to adopt them, and had developed a very good relationship with them. But at the same time, our our journey through parenting was quite difficult because there was this sort of looming, um, ghost-like presence of the deceased mother. So um, one of the things that happened pretty quickly was I could see that the children were aligning with their father, and it, it appeared to me to be out of some sort of strange loyalty, perhaps related to being related by blood. I'm not really sure, and I was very, very worried about what that was going to mean for us going forward in terms of custody. So anything related to the kids and my role as a mother, which was connected to, and I'm just making this connection now, the fact that to take on my role as mother, I had left my profession. And my financial well-being was completely contingent upon my husband's income. So 
those two things together, you know, here I had invested all of this time and energy and emotional energy into creating this relationship with my children, um, leaving a profession behind, not having my own source of income, and now being worried about the fact that perhaps I wouldn't have very much access to the children at all. Do you see? So I would say that my need as a human being for deep connection with my children was at risk, as was my trying to figure out how is all this going to work out financially. And for me, those are pretty basic human needs, the need for connection and the need for security as it relates to money. And um, so those those were two triggers that, um, again, brought forth this, I can only describe it as this shadow side that I didn't know existed. Right. You know, and that's, you know, it's perfect. I'm glad I'm sure tons of people can identify, you know, with those trigger points or something similar to them. And, you know, in, in looking at this piece of how it turns us into gladiators, is just I wanted to give a minute of just the background and some of the science so people can even understand what happens inside of them, is that as human beings, dating way, way, way back to the beginning of the Homo sapien, you know, we were given this um, survival technique, which is that if something seems to be threatening us, that we literally, like, you know, the tiger in the bush is the metaphor that we often hear, there is something threatening us, is that there's a physiological response inside of our bodies that takes Place when we feel threatened that gives us, you know, it, it shuts down certain systems. That's why lots of people under stress for a long time get sick because when we are fear for our survival, the body decides, well, you don't really need a digestive system working very well right now and you don't need an immune system working very well right now and you don't even need a rational thinking system right now. Like you need to just figure out how to survive. You either need to seek, can I fight this opponent and start battling Or you need to see, can I run faster and get away? Or we become so paralyzed with fear, as you said, and we just absolutely freeze. And so whatever these triggers are for us, the money, custody, you know, where we're going to live, family relationships, friendships, whatever our particular trigger is, knowing that as soon as that gets raised, that we are likely having a physiological reaction that is shutting down a lot of our important systems and causing us to become myopically focused, like very singularly focused, very fearful, and not really thinking very broadly or thinking about multiple perspectives. I like to say it's almost like your peripheral vision goes away and all we think about is how I'm going to survive. And if we picture two gladiators in a ring, you know, that is the only issue at hand is how am I going to survive? We're not thinking about what birthday present somebody else needs or whatever when you have another gladiator aiming to come at you. So I want people to understand that this is a physiological adaptive response that we have and that will trigger, that will kick in when we feel triggered. And so the purpose of our conversation here today and how do you be your best self means that we need to do something that help, that prevents this physiological response from completely taking over all of our actions and all of our decision-making and all of our interactions. And fortunately, we have the ability to do that as human beings, um, that we can, you know, do something that fends off the complete takeover of that, you know, adaptive response. 
And that's what we want to teach and share today. And, you know, when Christine, you and I were talking before, like the part of the reason for wanting to do this is not only don't we make good decisions, but we also like talked about the fact that getting stuck in those fights or those battles and acting like gladiators ultimately can become like really poisonous for our yes. system. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that um, just backing up to, um, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and this sort of survivalistic mentality when you're feeling really threatened, One of the things that really helped me as I was coming closer to the third month where I really realized that I needed to get hold of myself was actually sitting down and making a list. And it was really only three to five things. What three to five things really trigger me into um, this sort of more survivalistic mode of being? And those three things were, for example, as I mentioned, my connection to my children concerns about money. And the third thing, and this is a really big one, was I am a non-confrontational person. And my husband knows that about me. I don't like conflict. And so I get triggered when there's any indication of conflict arising. Your partner, your significant other, likely knows your triggers more than anyone else on the planet. And so having some clarity within yourself as to what your triggers are that are going to have you spiraling into a more primitive way of being is a really good idea. Having those on paper, again, as a mode of being prepared, you are going to feel threat related to this disruption. It's just part of the whole thing. And it's going to be reoccurring and ongoing and I, I'm, I would argue perhaps even post-divorce, some of this can come up. So what are your triggers that send you into that more primitive way of being? And then I'm, I'm assuming where we're going to go next is then what can I do about it once I feel those things being triggered so I'm not hijacked. Um, that's how I used to feel, that I was hijacked um, and had, was completely incapable once the sort of process started of bringing myself back to myself and back to the person that I really wanted to be in this whole process. Right. And, you know, I do want to get there. I want to get there in one minute, and I only want to pause for one small moment on the road there and say, you know, there comes this feeling, you know, sometimes when there's this back and forth and we're feeling triggered and the other person is expressing anger or it feels like an attack against us, is that, we want to attack back. Like we either want to hurt or we get resentful or we want to, you know, say, express to somebody or anybody the things that they've done that have been hurtful and how badly they've behaved, not because we're a bad person, but because it comes up as releasing. And, you know, a lot of resentment can build up. I gave 25 years to this person and this is what happened. I put this person through school and now this is what they're doing to me. And, that we can ourselves become consumed, that thoughts like that, thoughts of retaliation or thoughts of resentment or thoughts of anger actually become quite addictive in our system. And, you know, people are listening, like, and you might even have recognized yourself, like, the more I talk about it, the more I feel it, and then the more I talk about it. Yes. And there's this real balance between release 
and actually latching on and becoming addicted to the welling up of those feelings. I mean, does that make sense, Christine? Yes, and and it's a really good point because, um, again, early on in my process, I had to make some pretty important decisions about who I was going to speak with about my divorce and how much I was going to share. An example is this. Um, I realized fairly early on that I needed to be very mindful of the way that I was talking with my mother about what was going on because she had her own fears about where this was all going. And her fears would fuel mine. And then there were certain people in my life, people that I'm very, very close to, who wanted to engage in that, get revenge, um, you know, you should be angry, you know, you should, you should go after every penny, like this um, really, really toxic uh, um, line of thought that just didn't align in any way with the person that I am and how I wanted to conduct myself. So I had to come up with a list of people. I, I, I referred to them as my divorce dream team. I think, Adina, you may have even introduced this phrase to me my divorce support dream team. And these were three to five people that I knew I could talk with frankly and honestly about what was going on that were going to take me to a higher level of understanding it as opposed to keeping me dragged down into the negativity and the toxicity and the poison of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that dream team, that support team is, you know, really important and takes an incredible level of consciousness to arrive at that decision to make that choice and, um, you know, to say that this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to move in this direction because there's something that is so seductively tempting about getting people on our side or feeling um, defended by other people who are taking our position. Um, And so there's something very seductive in that. So it really is a very, very conscious choice to do it differently. And, you know, right before, one other thing I just wanted to get in here because I just loved this. It was so poignant for me. So I want to make sure we share it is, and you're going to clarify and say better what I'm going to say, but this idea that, you know, Resentment, and I certainly had my share. I know that you had your share. I can't imagine anyone going through a divorce not harboring some level of resentment. And resentment is really this idea of like, you know, thoughts that we hold about bad things that we want or, you know, what we're angry about and we may even want bad things to happen to somebody else. But it's like the more we drink the Kool-Aid of our anger and resentment, the truth is, is that our partner doesn't usually ever get hurt by it. We're the only ones who get hurt by it. And I know that you have a great phrase for this or a great saying for this, but it's like, I definitely found that the more I said it, the more I felt badly. And it didn't mm-hmm. seem to affect my spouse at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a phrase that's usually linked to um, when we're unable to forgive or when we're unwilling to forgive and we're holding on to the resentments. And it's something um, similar to it is like drinking, drinking from a chalice drinking poison from a chalice um, and hoping that our enemy is going to die, you know, when it's really us that um, is, is drinking the poison, is taking that in. Um, or the other image that's often used is, you know, when you're feeling the, that fire of resentment and you wish you have a knife and you can stab this person and the image is, 
you standing in the middle of a field with a thousand knives pouring down upon you. Um, you're the one that's getting hurt in the holding on to all of this. And so when you talk about the poison and the toxicity, that's what it really is. It's drinking from the chalice and hoping that the other person dies. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So let's take that. And now let's kind of transition. There's tons of reasons why we've just sort of talked about, like, why it's not good to go down that path. And we certainly don't want to be poisoning ourselves and, you know, all of that stuff and feeling the slicing of the knives through our bodies. So, you know, what, why is there strength in being your best self like, and really pushing yourself that way? And even when your partner is not, because, you know, I know some people will say to me, well, I would if they would. Like, I'll show up a certain way or I'll behave a certain way. Only if they do or, but if I do, it doesn't mean that they're going to. My spouse is going to show up better. So, you know, what is the purpose and what's the, what comes from being our best self, even if our other, if our partner does not choose to? I think a lot of growth arises, um, out of make, it really is a choice. It is a conscious decision. I'm going to put forth to the best of my ability, the best version of who I am at every opportunity here, and I'm going to do it without being attached to outcome, meaning I'm going to do this without any expectation that my soon-to-be ex-husband is going to do the same. Um, I'm going to do this for me. It's very empowering. Um, It's lifted me right out of victim mode, which... um, you know, when you're in victim mode, it's really easy to to come into, you know, um, a willingness to fight um, or to flee or to, you know, sort of engage at that level. It just gave me, it was a really important shift. And it was so important to me that I distinctly remember the moment that I made the decision. And this decision was made actually after a conversation that I had with you, Adina, Um, It was after a very, very ugly moment that I had shared with my husband where the two of us acted out deplorably. And you said to me, you asked me a very important question. You said, Christine, can you tell me a little bit about Keith's past that might help me to understand why he's behaving this way? And... I started to tell a story about his childhood, and as I was telling the story, I could very clearly see the child in him that was acting out through his grown-up self, that so many of the things that he had feared as a child related to abandonment, related to uh, wondering how he was going to take care of himself. So many of these things related to money. So many of these things were definitely triggered in him in this divorce. And so what I was dealing with was this very young part of himself coming up and through this adult self. And I didn't quite understand it until you had asked me the question. When you asked me the question and I began to tell the story, I came to a state of real compassion for this man. And that changed everything. From that moment forward, whenever we would have episodes where he would behave in a way that was really uncharacteristic or over the top or potentially very upsetting to me, um, I brought that image back of that little boy 
and mm. putting his behavior, his current behavior in the context of his life story shifted everything for me. And knowing that really put the ball in my court because I could choose to proceed differently in having that awareness. Does that make sense? You know, it makes so much sense. And, you know, I actually i am sitting here drawing on my paper as you are describing this. And, you know, one of the things that it brought up is whether we are the partner that may feel more vulnerable, either because we're more financially vulnerable, we're conflict avoidant, you know, whatever the reason is, that our vulnerability and our spouse's aggression are actually both stem from the same place. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. that you're describing like they stem from fear and fear in some people shows up as aggressive fighting and fear in other people shows up as sort of, you know, trembling and wanting to turn away or feeling like the victim. But both of these are the manifestations of each person's fear. And that this moment when you got to the recognition that what was outwardly aggressive behavior from him was really the man of his way of manifesting his fear, which is was mm-hmm. different from your way of manifesting your fear, that it put you both on the same plane and a place where you could have compassion. And that was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that led me to a practice that has really been invaluable. And that is, and I know that I've talked with you about this before, from that moment forward, I decided that whenever there was a difficult moment, I would chant to myself in my own mind, love and light, love and light, in all matters, I wish you love and light. And that's what I've done. And that's what I continue to do when things get really difficult, even if he's right in front of me and it's, you know, in screaming or, you know, you know, it's a really fired up situation. I will be chanting that in my mind. And you can come up with anything that makes sense with you sense to you. It can be the word peace. It can be, you know, anything, anything really simple and easy to have in the forefront of your mind as this is going on. And that, that changes then how I respond. It takes me totally out of reactivity. I am actually wishing this person these good things. What I'm really wishing is that little boy, good things. And when you can maintain your own calm in the face of someone who's freaking out, ultimately it diffuses the situation much more quickly than if you were both to be in that mode of, of freaking out. Right. And I, you know, I wanted to follow up on that before, because I know we have other strategies we're going to share here. We're going to share as well. But what you just said there that, you know, one person keeping the calm, and this is why I've always said when people say to me, well, if you just work with me, you know, coaching me, how will that help us? But as what you said, as long as one person is working on keeping and holding steady, things do diffuse more quickly. Things simmer down, and then we can get to more rational places for moving forward. And it's such a powerful tool because, The thing that I think people feel so um, deeply and feel so vulnerable about 
vulnerable about in divorce is what feels like a lack of control. Like suddenly I thought my life was going this way. I thought all these things were set and now nothing is known, like where I'm going to live, how much money I'm going to have, you know, when I'm going to see my kids or all that kind of stuff. And it's this loss of control over so many aspects of our life that can make us feel so fearful. But when you did what you just described. I took on a mantra and I committed to repeating it. I committed to showing it up and I committed to doing my part here to keep my insides from being as toxic, to releasing as much toxicity as I can or not letting it in. Mm-hmm. And to diffusing this situation is what you actually did is you took back control of the one thing you really have total control of in your life. And so when people are feeling this sense of like lack of control, things being taken away, vulnerability, there is this incredible strength and power to knowing that this is one thing no one can ever take away from you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so I um, think that back to um, this idea of, of choice and, you know, choosing to really think about and make decisions about how you're going to conduct yourself um, ultimately results, again, in the sense of, of feeling empowered and non-victimized. So what other strategies do you want to share with, um, with people as to, you know, how they can, you know, make this choice and um, strategies they can either try directly or play with them, you know, and, and innovate on their own as they're navigating this process? Well, the mantra is a big one. And again, it doesn't have to be spiritual in nature. It can be just a word, a phrase. Um, the other thing that I like to do is what I call the faces of my children exercise. <laughs> and that, um, <laughs> when, um, and I, I did this a lot early on. I don't do this anymore because I don't need to, but, um, when I could feel myself coming into a more reactive mode, almost to the point where certain words were going to come out of my mouth or I was going to take a certain action that was going to be more um, related to trying to get revenge, I would face, I would stop and I would bring to mind the faces of my children and I would say to myself, if my children were watching me in this moment, would I want them to see me like this and then to one day behave in a similar way? Mm. Here is an here is an example, and this is something that um, you know to date I'm I'm ashamed of. I've never done anything like this before in my life, and I haven't done it since. But during one of our, one of our moments, I actually tossed a glass of wine um, all over Keith, and um, it was 100% reactivity. And um, mm. when I look back, had I had this particular strategy in mind, I would have not done that. That's not something that I would ever want my children seeing me doing. It's not something that I would ever hope that they would do if they were in such a situation. So um, that helped me a lot. Um, or and, and connected to that is looking forward, what would I tell them about who they should be if they were navigating their own divorce? Mm-hmm. Um what kind of what kind of narrative do I want to convey to them about how I managed it myself? Yeah. Um, another. Did you did you want to say something about that, or do you want me to go on? No, go ahead. And I have one I'm going to share too. When you, but keep going, keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> um. 
The other one that I love is um, my morning and evening reflection. And uh, in the morning, this has been very valuable to me before getting out to, out of bed. With regard to divorcing, I ask myself, what is going to be my guiding value today? And I just pick one. Like today, it's non-judgment. So when anything arises today related to divorce, I'm going to practice non-judgment. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's empathy. Maybe it's um, courage, the courage to perhaps confront the conflict. But choose one guiding principle or value before you get out of bed and say, I'm going to bring this into my day. And then in the evening, before I go to sleep, I ask myself, you know, what did I do really well today with regard to this divorce? And the second question is, what was I challenged by or what could I have done differently? Right? And then the third question is, in what way do I need to forgive myself? Hmm. And those three questions, kind of as a reflection, ending with forgiveness, allows me to go to sleep in peace. Because... Just because I choose to walk through this in a conscious way does not mean that I don't screw up because I do. And so it helps me to just take an inventory at the end of the day. What did I, what did I navigate really well? What could I have done better? And what am I going to forgive myself about? And I think that that is that forgiveness piece is so important, the forgiveness of self, because as you said, no matter how good our intentions are, we're not. We're going to, you know, we're going to fall down. We're going to miss the mark on something. We're going to get caught in our reactivity at some point. And that, so it's not about being perfect. It's about continually returning and setting our intentions and continually returning and setting our beliefs for what, what we want to do and how we want to go forward and navigate. And I think that that's really important. And that self-forgiveness piece um, is, you know, it's huge. And, you know, I just wanted to share, and I think it, you know, is an instance that recently came up for me. And as I think you said, this, of course, spills over into post-divorce too. And it does, especially if you have children and you'll still be connected afterwards is, you know, recently, you know, my ex and I had something come up and, Oh my gosh, I immediately went to my car and I was constructing email after email after email. But I just really, you know, the, the dig had come at me, the knife had kind of gone into me, and I was just like, how big can I get my sword and how deeply can I thrust it, you know? And I was constructing all of these emails and I was so ready to go home, pick up the phone, you know, any of those things. And, um, feeling that arising because we can feel it. If we pay attention to our bodies, we can feel it and we can actually make a choice before we do the next thing. And I said to myself, you know, there is a yoga class in in half an hour and I am before I do anything because I am not clear right now, I am going to go home. I'm going to get changed and I'm going to go to yoga class. It could have been get on the treadmill. It could have been go watch my favorite TV show, but just putting time and a little bit of space and with an activity that is nourishing, um, you know, to help bring down that reactive level can make an enormous, enormous difference in being one's best self. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I call that the power of the pause. So yeah. you felt all of these reactive sensations coming up in your body, likely, and you made a choice to take a pause. And what I like to do when I calm down during that pause is, is what I call I play the tape out to the end. And playing the tape out to the end means, okay, I look at, I was going to send these emails, I was going to make these calls, what was that going to result in? If I look at playing the tape forward all the way to the end, what was that probably going to result in? Now, it's hard to play the tape mm. through to the end when you're in a really reactive place, but it's easy to say, oh, boy, I need to practice this pause. And... Yeah. You know, spend some time, as you said, doing something that's nourishing to sort of kind of calm down. And then it's, it's highly likely that you're not going to do what you were initially going to do. Yeah, that it wouldn't be the best choice. Um, one of the, one of the things I wanted to bring to people's attention for us to talk about in a couple of minutes is, you know, Divorce Essentials, you know, and, and you're so familiar with it, um, produced this program called the Divorce Companion. And it's a multimedia program designed for people who are considering divorce at the early stages of moving through this. And really with this intention of helping people to both gain knowledge and understand the process as well as to be able to from the get-go, take on a practice of learning how to be their best selves and learning how to make decisions in their best interest. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about, you know, your understanding of the program and how you think it fits with this topic of being your best self. Um, The program, you cannot help but become very wide awake and conscious to every aspect of your divorce process. Um, by engaging in the program, everything from contemplating divorce to, again, um, what qualities do I want to bring forth in myself? You know, one of the things that I love about Divorce Essentials is it gets you very clear about your core values. And this is something I was going to mention earlier, but I have a list of five of my core values that hang in my kitchen. And I look at them every day. And I ask myself, especially when I know I'm going to confront a difficult situation related to the divorce, are these, are these qualities present in what I'm about to do and what I'm about to say? And if they're not, I, they help me to kind of step back and make a different choice. Um, I think divorce essential makes a person feel as if they are more in control of, um, of the navigation of things. And of course, there are a couple of chapters that deal very specifically with, you know, answering questions and providing guidance related to the legalities and and finances and the kind of paperwork that you need to pull together. Um, All of these, all of those things are incredibly stressful and paired with the emotional stress of divorce. Um, it's very easy to see how someone can become overwhelmed. I guess in some I would say that um, I always like to think about divorce essentials and divorce coaching um, as, as a lantern. That's the image that comes to mind. You know, I don't really know. I know I'm walking this path, and it's dark, and I don't know what's down the road here, but I see you standing in front of me with that lantern. 
and you're encouraging me to take the steps forward and I feel that I can do that because I can see just a little bit and I know that as we keep moving, the path is going to become more and more illuminated and it's going to take me to the other side. Hmm. And it is a beautiful image of the lantern and a light because we're in a time when things can feel so dark and so unknown and unnavigable and so I love that you brought up that image. Um, and, you know, just to clarify for listeners, you know, and the things that Christina is saying, um, Divorce Essentials being the overall company and what's offered through coaching and support and the Divorce Companion itself is a multimedia self-guided program that someone can do at home or do with a therapist or things like that to really help work with the coach to help really get grounded in this process and make the conscious choice of, you know, being their best self and being informed, which is part of um, what gives us the strength to be able to be our best selves. So, um, Christine, as we're coming close to wrapping up here, you know, I wanted to just invite you to give a any kind of final thought here that you might want to share, a final thought or a quote or a resource or something that you might want to bring in closing, and then we'll share with people how they can get in touch with us. So what would yes, you like to share? I do. I would like to just share this brief, brief few words um, that I shared with a client of mine who is, this is exactly the work we're doing. We're helping him to um, show up as the best version of himself that's possible. So I just want to read this to you. Um, envision. You are about to take a very turbulent drive, and you've got precious cargo traveling with you. You must take great care. You must be well. You must be present. You must be savvy and strategic. You must anticipate and plan a response when the road gets rocky. You must be calm. You must be rested. You are driving the car in this scenario, and you are the precious cargo that you are trying to get to the other side of the divorce journey. You are, in a sense, driving into your new life. As such, you are in charge of the sort of driver you are going to be. If I was going to hire a driver to drive me through and into my new life, I would demand that he or she have the above qualities that I just mentioned. And so I must demand this of myself. I must vow to be the most responsible driver possible. I must vow to be mature, insightful, clear, focused, present, kind, well, and loving. And you are the person behind the wheel that's going to be taking this potentially turbulent journey. And so being the best self means committing to keeping yourself well, to keeping yourself rested, to keeping yourself informed, and to making really, really good choices as you drive toward a new life. Thank you, Christine. That was really, really beautiful. I know every time I talk to you, I wish I had a transcript of what you've just said. Um, and so, you know, fortunately, there's a recording and we can play it back again and again. That was really beautiful. So, you know, to wrap up and give people the opportunity that, you know, we want you to choose, to make choices that are going to serve you and yourself. If we can be helpful to you, you can find Christine and I both on the website at divorceessentials with an S at the end dot net. We're both reachable there. And um, you can also 
contact the Mainline Family Law Center if you're in the greater Philadelphia area and are considering mediation from a stance of being your best self. And then the Divorce Companion program that we described to you is available for a great review at divorcecompanion.com. And so any of those ways to reach us are great ways. hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.